Welcome to Food Forward, Nourishing the World, with your host, Alan Weiner. Over the next hour, you'll explore the innovative and ever-evolving solutions in everyone's favorite topic, food. Now, here's your host, Alan. Greetings from the Sunshine State. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. The topic today is diabetes. And we're going to start off with two questions. Question number one, how do I know if I have diabetes? And after being diagnosed, what do I do now? Let's throw in a third question. What can I do if I have a family history of diabetes to prevent getting diabetes? So I have a special guest to talk about this. And it's someone's firsthand knowledge of being diabetic. That's me. So at the ripe age of 45 years old in 1998, I was doing a real whole bunch of international travel. And uh, quite often just wasn't feeling right and had what obviously were some of the early signs of diabetes that I just ignored. Um, one of which was thirst, continuing thirst. Um, the other was frequent urination. And um, because I was traveling, I just assumed it was, you know, due to travel. And then I think it was around April of 1998, I was speaking at a conference in New York City. And a colleague of mine came over to me and said, Alan, you do not look so good. Well, I'm not sure exactly what he meant, but, you know, I filed that away. So it was... Um, I think our 15th wedding anniversary that year. And um, my wife said to me, the best gift that I could give her was going to the doctor. And I hadn't been to the doctor in a long time, so I resisted. But around the middle of October, I, I went to the doctor and he was kind of alarmed. And he thought there was something wrong with my thyroid or something like that. I had a very rapid heartbeat. So he insisted on doing a blood test. Now, he, he cautioned me not to go anywhere or travel, but as it turned out, I was scheduled to speak the next day at our company's major event, which was called Symposium at Disney World. And, you know, I was biting my fingernails, waiting to hear back from the doctor um, who would call my wife and she would call me. And I can picture standing in a phone booth uh, at Disney World outside of the Swan and Dolphin Hotel talking to my wife and said, there's nothing wrong with your thyroid. You have diabetes. And so my journey began. And I've been in 25 years through four endocrinologists. The first one in San Francisco, who was fantastic, who you know, kind of guided me through the early process. Uh, and for most diabetics, he told me that I needed to take a statin, um, which is for your cholesterol and a blood pressure medication, because our, those are two things which impact diabetes. Um, he then put me on a medication, uh, which is common for most diabetics. And mind you, at this point, I was diagnosed in 1998 with type 2 diabetes, which was um, something that I probably inherited from my dad, who was also diabetic. And I began the process in 1998 of taking metformin, 
which is a, like I said, a drug commonly prescribed. Um, so to kind of make a long story short, over the next several years, um, for a number of reasons, some of which I don't know, my diabetes, which is measured through a test called an HA1C, um, was progressively not improving. So in the year 2001, I began taking insulin injections, which is quite nasty. I'm sure you've been places where people have you know, taken injections. Uh, people who do that try to be circumspect about it, but there's just no two ways around it. It's, it's nasty. In 2006, I began um, an insulin pump. So an insulin pump is a small device which um, has a contraption that you put into your abdomen and it gives you insulin around the clock. And it also allows you when you eat to be able to take what is known as a bolus. So um, the pump calculates for you, you know, how much insulin you should take for a particular meal by counting the carbohydrates. Okay. So, um, over time, the pumps have changed, and I've been fortunate enough to have a pump now, which is in a closed loop system, which means that the pump talks to a device that's on my arm called a continuous glucose monitor, and we'll talk about more about that in a second. I happen to be using one from Dexcom, and that continually feeds my pump information as to what my blood sugar is and sets off alarms if my blood sugar goes too high or too low or if it's out of range and it makes you know all the difference in the world but let's circle back to numbers so if you're um considered not to be diabetic you're you're probably somewhere in the five range of HA1C, and I, I don't know the exact measure of what it is, but that's the number. If you're between five and seven, some people will say that you're pre-diabetic. Not exactly sure what that means. And if you are diabetic, your goal is to be less than seven. And using a glucometer, which is that little device that you've seen that allows you to stick your finger um, with a sharp object and you put it onto a machine and a test strip, you should be, the number should be between 70 and 99. Keep in mind, those are moving targets. Um, the American Diabetic Association is always changing that. So, you know, be aware of that. So the pump um, gives you freedom in that you don't have to stick your finger as much and you're able to get much better control. And since getting on the pump, I can tell you that my control has been excellent. So a couple of, of things to think about. So you're diabetic. Um, the things that you need to be concerned about, uh, things that are often impacted by diabetes, are your eyes, getting something which is known as diabetic retinopathy, so you need to get your eyes examined from an ophthalmologist every year, not an optometrist. Your feet, because you're prone to get ulcers, which are sores on your feet that don't heal. So you need to have your feet looked at every 90 days or so. 
teeth, your teeth. You need to go to the dentist twice a year because gum disease can become pretty prominent with diabetes. And because of the impact that diabetes has on your life, I would say that mental health is, is really also very, very important. So let's kind of um, look at some of the things that I've learned in my 25 years of, of being diabetic. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that you're bombarded with ads on television for diabetic medication. Now, if you look at it quite carefully, none of the diabetic medication is for type 1 diabetics. In fact, and I can tell you this from firsthand experience from a uh, bad trial, if you take some of those medications and you are a type 1 diabetic, you wind up getting hypoglycemia, which is very low blood sugar. And we'll talk about how you deal with that in a minute or so. So when you see those ads and they say to you, oh, you're going to get, you know, terrific results with this in a little bit, you know, little letters underneath, it says with diet and exercise, right? Diet and exercise. Now I can tell you, and we'll be talking a little bit more about this in the second segment where we talk about diet, but, um, you know, you, you want to, if you want to be a healthy diabetic, um, avoid things like too much potatoes, pasta, pretzels, potato chips, all those delicious things, and ice cream. So I decided to make my life a little bit more difficult and became vegan, which really made things much more complicated. Again, something that we're going to talk about in the next segment. So the other thing, two things uh, before we go to our break, one is continuous glucose monitoring. And I, I want to say that it's great to have continuous glucose monitoring. And there are people who kind of just, just for the heck of it, like to wear a CGM, continuous glucose monitor, to see you know, how they're doing. There's one called the Libre, which is you know, a pretty common one. You see a lot of ads for it. It, you put it in your arm, and then with an app, you wave the phone across it, and it gives you a reading. I um, use the Dexcom because it's made to work with my particular pump. But you have to remember that these are not exact. So once a day or more, if you are using one of these devices, whether you're diabetic or not, it's best to check on a glucometer to make sure to see whether the numbers are accurate. And it's rare that they're gonna be the exact same number, but they should be you know, relatively close. I then wanna talk about um, hypoglycemia, which is a very strange experience. And I can tell you, I've had hypoglycemia quite a few times and I learned a valuable lesson with hypoglycemia. So in 2007, I um, was at a conference in Amsterdam and was getting ready to go out um, to an event that the company who was sponsoring was holding. And before leaving, I tested my blood sugar and it was 55, which is very, very low. So like a lot of diabetics, I kind of freaked out. 
and I began eating everything in sight in the hotel room. Um, I began ordering all kinds of food on room service. It was really, you know, pretty much a disaster. So what I learned from my doctor is the thing you should never be without if you're a diabetic is glucose tablets. But you have to be careful with glucose tablets. Glucose tablets, if you take too many or if you kind of freak out when you get a low blood sugar and try to fix it by eating everything in sight, the worst thing you can do is rebound. So you can go from 55 to 255 in a matter of seconds. So most diabetics carry around a glucagon, which in case of emergency, you're able to use to you know, quickly raise your blood sugar. So that is something that I recommend that you, you get from your doctor. So um, I'm, I'm anxious, you know, if, if there are people out there who have questions, a personal nature of sorts, I, I'd like you to use me as a resource. So you can email me privately, Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com. I'll be more than glad to, to answer your questions. And in our final segment, I will give you, you know, a few more tips on, on things that you want to consider um, if you're diabetic or if your family has a history of diabetes. So with that, we will um, play some messages and then come back with our special guest who will talk about eating and diabetes. So stay tuned for that. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In what goes up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. We just heard my story about diabetes and how it impacted my life, how I learned how to travel with it, and the changes that were necessary for me to basically live. But this show is about food. And 
Living with diabetes, one of the most important things is eating right. And I owe my ability to eat right to a very special person, my wife, Kathy. And I brought her here to kind of talk about what it's like to feed a diabetic, to cook for a diabetic, to eat with a diabetic. And I'm sure if you grab just one tip that she's able to share with you, you'll be that much ahead of the curve. So welcome, Kathy. Hi, thank you. I think everyone is familiar with the old traditional style diabetic diet, the exchange diet that had portion and serving sizes that were different quantity and vegetable, different type of vegetable. And that's what was sort of in vogue when Halloran became diabetic. But later we recently had learned about the glycemic index and learning the glycemic index was a whole new thing for us to learn what was low glycemic and what the impact of it was. So I became, you know, diagnosed in late 1998 and we had to totally change the way we ate. So what were some of the first changes that you had to make in our diet? We pretty much stopped having bread in the house. That was number one. We, one big change initially, and we still do to be low glycemic is basmati rice. So when it's glycemic index indicates how much of blood sugar spikes when you eat a particular thing. So you want it to be as level as possible and you want to avoid spikes. So the choices of foods are what do it. So as you mentioned, there are some foods you really need to learn to live without. So anything kind of white, except for, you know, rice, basmati rice, things like potatoes. And one of my favorite things that I had to learn to live without is, is pasta. So over time, did you begin to find replacements for pasta that kind of satisfied that urge? We initially found some pastas made from a different kind of wheat. And then Dreamfields was really the first one to come out with a lower carb pasta. As it's come in the last five years, there's bean pastas and vegetable pastas, and actually the whole idea of spiralizing vegetables to replicate a pasta is really one of our standards. So the whole thing about spiralizing is something that we'll get to with another show and kind of a, a funny story. Can you explain to people who are looking to count carbs, how you read a label? Um, you have to do more than just look at the number of carbohydrates, correct? Yes. What you need to do is read, look at the carbohydrates and then look at the fiber and you subtract the fiber number from the carbohydrates. And you do need to double check serving size. Sometimes serving size is for two pieces of something versus one. The other thing that we learned over time and a little bit the hard way was um, saturated fats. So a lot of the calories in these products that you might be looking at that are not whole foods would have saturated fats possibly. Are there some particular skills that you had to learn? Um, you know, it's it's hard, and I can speak from my own experience. If you want to maintain good blue, good blue 
I'm sorry, good blood glucose levels that you have to do without a lot of foods. And that could be very depressing. So were there skills that you had to learn to kind of amp up the flavor, the taste of some of the foods? I think that what I learned most is that you really need to weigh things, which is something I'm not very good at. And I do do consistently so that you're within portion size. I think that we've added a lot of spices. We have hundreds of spice jars in our kitchen because we're always trying to add flavor to something that may have had some other kind of add, added fat or carbohydrate, butter, oil. One of the things that happened when we became vegan and learned from the forks overnight men, um, menu feeding eating style was that the best thing for diabetics was to be on an oil-free diet. And their contention was that after four weeks on an oil-free diet, your insulin receptors are cleaned off and are more receptive to insulin and it will reduce your need for So let's talk specifically about vegan. So we added the complication of not only trying to um, eat healthy for a diabetic member of the household, but then we went vegan. So what challenges then came up? I think one of the things that happens on a lot of the vegan products is there's a lot of grains in them, which are the things that have carbohydrates. So you need to be careful what grains you have. The other thing is that you can try to substitute fats or animal products with their other items like any liquid or any protein item. One of the things I do a lot is if I make a squash, dry the seeds and grind them up to be used as flour or a topping because they don't have fat or carbs. As we mentioned in the show a couple of weeks ago when you were our guest, um, you went to vegan cooking school. Was there anything specifically that you learned when you were in vegan cooking school that has helped you in creating this healthy diet? Well, first thing was knife skills. So that's definitely. And then to get accustomed to it of vitamins, which I had not used prior to that. But I do think that you really need to be able to step back and substitute items. My first class was in raw foods. And so in that situation, you learn ways to combine things and create flavor without adding a whole lot of um, um, sauces and things that you, I, I can't think of, manufactured products. So it, I did learn how to really kind of make my own flavor. So uh, before we get to my favorite topic, and that is breakfast, um, what are some of the major foods to avoid and what do you replace them with? Well, we eat basmati rice, but honestly, most people do brown rice, but brown rice is a little higher in the glycemic index, but has other health benefits. Potatoes, we try with celery root. Um, Alan makes a, a celery root mash with noodles. We try with spiralized noodles, part of bread. Try and make a sourdough product that has a lot of ground up seeds and 
non-carbohydrate items in it. I think the hardest thing for us was dairy, but over time, the vegan industry has come up with dairy. But again, in that situation, you have to be very careful about the saturated fat and other animal So how important is it for someone to really learn to love vegetables? Um, we basically have vegetables at every meal, including a large salad for dinner, which then becomes part of our lunch the next day. But let's take breakfast, for example. Um, tell us what you typically um, offer for breakfast. Our offerings are a little unique. We usually have an almond flour tortilla with a form of vegan egg on it, just egg. And then the days that we don't have the just egg, we'll have some vegan cheese on it or so chopped up vegetables and a little bit of maybe an olive spread if it's a fancy day. Um, in addition, I try and do one other vegetable. It's predominantly spinach, which Alan can eat 24-7, but some other sort of vegetable to fill up. And then a little bit of V8 juice because the V8 juice does have vegetables and adds some nutrients to the meal. Let me ask you this. You, you mentioned something I think very important, and that was the whole manufactured food issue and quite a few of the vegan products, especially the vegan cheeses, have a lot of oils in them, coconut oil, um, particularly some of which have a pretty high saturated fat. Is it worth the effort? And how does one do it to make their own cheese? It is easy to make the cheese once you get the process down. We make, or I should say, Alan makes a hemp seed cheese frequently. We've made oz, we've made cashew. You can make it complicated, you can make it simple. We also did some, a little bit of a hard cheeses in one of the small cake rings, but you can make your own cheese very, very easily. One of the things that Alan created that I just, we haven't had in a long time, is using a vegan milk with some vegan cheese in it and making a cheese that you can put over and then add some nutritional yeast to it. Yeah, actually, I think nutritional yeast is a secret weapon. And um, for anybody who really wants a, a variety of vegan cheeses, and take my word for it, I get nothing for this. There's a company called Nooch, N-O-O-C-H, which has a variety of vegan cheeses. I mean, you can buy your usual Dr. Bragg's on the shelf or Trader Joe's, but with Nooch, you get um, some extra flavor like like truffle. Couple of questions to kind of wrap up. The first thing is dessert. Um, there are no cakes or cookies in our house by and large, except for maybe the dog. Um, what do you what do you offer for dessert that satisfies you know that post meal craving? In our house, it's usually soup compote. Essentially, I take apple, pears, berries put them in a, a tea uh, liquid with some maple syrup and a lot of spices and make a, a little kind of dessert fruit, I guess. I don't know what else to call it. And then I put on a little bit of vegan yogurt on the top and sprinkle some cinnamon. And if it's a fancy day, again, we get a piece of chocolate. A piece Yeah, a piece of vegan chocolate couple more questions. So the first one is, um, 
going out to dinner. And I think you can count on one hand the number of times you've gone out to dinner uh, here in Florida. But what do we look for when we go out to dinner? We spend a lot of time looking at menus before we go out and we figure out what we can eat, what we can ask to be modified. A salad then can have something added. Usually we end up ordering a couple things and sharing them and picking out what we each can eat. The thing that I would add is that I think that we find particularly ethnic food, Indian food in particular, um, when we were in Turkey and places like that, a lot of bean dishes we were able to get. So um, if you if you want to go out and kind of be adventurous, I would suggest you know, trying an Indian restaurant. Or Ethiopian. Or Ethiopian. But be careful on the bread, the injera bread, because that can be deadly in terms of carbs. Last question. How has my vegan eating impacted you? Well, number one is vegan too, but the diabetic eating is I don't eat sweets in house. I will go out if I'm somewhere and take a taste of someone's cake, but we don't. I don't bring the sweets in the house because I don't think it's fair to tempt him. And number one, I don't eat that much to begin with. I think the thing that is the hardest for Alan is ice. Loves ice cream with the sugar content. His blood sugar skyrockets. And even now with so many alternative ice creams, we just aren't able to have ice cream in the house. Um, and if he has it, it can only be like one bite. Kathy, thank you so much for that. So that kind of adds to the opening where I told my story about being diabetic. Our next guest, Colleen Zammer, is going to talk about a product that her company, Bay State Milling, has come out with that actually allows you to um, eat uh, bread and pasta with a low glycemic um, index. So it's, it's, I guess, suitable for diabetics. So thank you again, Kathy, for, for joining us today. And we will be back after this message. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper. And just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. Today, we're diving deep into the world of innovative food solutions with our esteemed guest, Colleen Zammer, Vice President of Varietal Solutions Growth and Corporate Innovation at Bay State Milling. With a rich history spanning over a century, Bay State Milling is at the forefront of redefining flour with their latest high-fiber, low-carb offering. So let's uncover the story behind this groundbreaking product. Welcome, Colleen. How are you? I'm well, Alan. Thank you. So my first question is, who made the muffins that you served at the expo last week or two weeks ago? My colleague, Kelsey Harper, made those muffins and everybody raved about them. Great. So you made them on site or did you make them back in your hotel room and ran them over to the convention center? We actually made them in our innovation center in Quincy, Massachusetts, and I hand carried them to the show. Oh, amazing. So tell us about this, this new product. The company has such a longstanding history in the milling industry. How do you balance tradition with the need for innovation in the dynamic food landscape? That's a great question. Uh, Bay State Milling has been in the flour business for 125 years, coming up on 125 actually. And um, we've always considered ourselves innovators, but innovation differs over, you know, over the decades. And we've seen a decline in flour or flour-based food consumption over the last several decades. And a lot of this is due to declining human health and people shunning carbohydrate-based foods uh, because of obesity and diabetes. And so, you know, as a company who wants to continue growing, we had to look to innovate and find ways to make a healthier wheat flour to keep the business growing. So tell me more about this high fiber, low carb flour. You you say in your information that 95% of people have a low fiber diet. So what inspired the creation and how does it differ from other flours in terms of nutritional benefits and its applications? Sure. Well, we as, as Americans in particular eat about 130 pounds of wheat flour a year. That is way more than anything else we eat, more than any other cereal crop, more than any other meat item. Uh, for example, corn is only about 30 pounds per year and wheat is 130. So we looked at that as a great opportunity to have an impact on human health. And so if we can replace the flour that these wheat foods are made out of with something that's healthier, we can really make an impact on public health. And so the flour that is HealthSense high fiber wheat flour uh, it really just has a different starch composition. So if you think about a wheat kernel from which flour is made, it really comes from the inside of that kernel, which is all starch. And a normal wheat kernel is a highly digestible starch. So it really turns into sugar pretty quickly. And that's what causes blood sugar spikes. It's what causes weight gain. And we need to make that starch less digestible. So we worked with partners around the world to identify varieties of wheat that had lower levels of that readily digestible starch and much higher levels of what is called resistant starch. 
So it resists digestion, doesn't break down into sugar. It travels to your lower intestine system where it can be then digested by the good bacteria in your gut. And when that happens, that means you're not getting any blood sugar spikes and you're creating all kinds of positive compounds that are good for your gut lining, good for nutrient absorption. So it really flips the, the story of wheat and makes it a better for you wheat, better for you foods, low glycemic, high prebiotic fiber. So it's all about that starch component of the wheat kernel. So you mentioned glycemic index. Um, so I'm a type one diabetic. You don't need to tell me about the glycemic index, but can you explain to our listeners the importance of the glycemic index? Yes, so the glycemic index is, uh, it's a measurement of the response to carbohydrates in a food product. So it's the way your metabolism uh, responds to the amount of sugar that's in that product, or, or actually the amount of carbohydrate, I shouldn't say sugar. So if you have a lower glycemic index food, you are less likely to have a high glycemic response or have higher blood sugar or spikes from eating that food. And so if you are someone who's sensitive to blood sugar spikes or carbohydrates, you want a food that has a lower glycemic index. So you mentioned the company's innovation center, and I'm really curious about that. Tell me how the innovation center works and how does it lead to finding new things like your new flower? Well, our innovation center does a variety of things. We work on, you know, we're constantly looking out in the ecosystem, if you will, to see what new technologies are available. Um, we use technology to process things in a different way to make them more functional or more nutritious. Um, and we look for partners to work with um, things like this on because this was really about uh, looking for new varietals, new crops. And that's not necessarily something that we 100% focus on as a miller, but we look outside to see who's gonna bring us these new ideas or who can help us capitalize on them. And that's what happened with this particular product. So when an idea comes into the innovation center, what is the process that it goes through um, before you proclaim it ready to the market? Well, ideally we start with what's the market opportunity. Um, you know, we need to make sure that there's a, a consumer out there and, and a customer because we're B2B uh, where this is going to add value. So certainly this uh, with high fiber wheat, the opportunity was clear. There's a lot of wheat consumed. There's a lot of health issues uh, that could be improved through a better wheat. Uh, so once we understand the market opportunity, um, we look to what is the technology or the process or the crop that we need to deliver that. And in this case, you know, there was a global partnership who were already working on identifying these varietals. So they had their own commercialization process of making sure that they could uh, grow these varietals and, and have this particular trait of high fiber be expressed time and time again. When we became the commercial partner for North America, we were literally handed a bag of seeds of this unique varietal, and we handpicked growers to grow this for us uh, in specific parts of the country where it would thrive. And we've been working for years to um, develop the supply chain, uh, make sure that we have a very pure crop, that it gets from the field to the elevators, to our mills, and ultimately to our customers, 
in exactly the format that they require. They've got the same amount of fiber every time. They've got the same amount of functionality and performance every time. And that's something that we continue to monitor for every lot of flour that we mill. So sustainability is a big buzzword right now. How does your company ensure that that innovative flour is sourced sustainably? Well, that's a great question. It really comes down to the growers that we work with. And that's why we hand selected the, the growers that we chose to partner with on this. Uh, different growers have different agricultural practices. And we wanted to make sure that the ones we were working with uh, were choosing the best practices for how they manage their farms. And that might be the on-farm technology they use to plant and to harvest. It might be the um, inputs that they put into their soil to, uh, to help grow the crops. Um, so it's all of those things in the wheat supply chain that we pay attention to, to make sure that when we're bringing an innovation to market, that it also has that sustainability factor. So you mentioned that the company is primarily a B2B company. So when you're working with partners, how, how do you control the usage at their end? So if you take a product that is really powerful on the glycemic index and it's used in conjunction with other things that are not so uh, good for diabetics and other people in weight control, how do you kind of, kind of make that work? Also an excellent question. Um, and this is also where our innovation center comes into play and our research and development team. So we work really closely with all of our customers when developing new products, particularly with HealthSense Flower, uh, just for that reason. You know, we first meet with the customer to understand what is their goal? What are they trying to accomplish? Uh, and sometimes it might be a fiber claim. Sometimes it might be a low glycemic index. Uh, sometimes it might be digestive health benefits. So it's really important that we understand the goal first, and then we can help them formulate accordingly. And we have a lot of experience with the other ingredients that have to accompany flour to make a finished food. So we can work closely with their R&D teams to recommend uh, what ingredients complement HealthSense flour, how much of it you need to use to achieve those claims. That's a really important piece and why it's important to understand what they're trying to achieve right from the get-go. So we collaborate, collaborate really closely to understand the goals and provide them with expertise to support not only the flour, but the finished food goals as well. Interesting. So when you have an innovation center, it's probably really hungry for new ideas. So can you kind of give us a, a vision into the sorts of things that we're likely to see from Bay State Milling in the near future? Absolutely. Yes, very hungry for new ideas. And uh, at Bay State, you know, you mentioned my, my role is varietal solutions growth. And so we see lots of opportunities for uh, new ingredients, new products that are the result of unique varieties of common crops. And so those varieties may have differentiation for nutrition, they may have differentiation for functionality. And functionality is, is just a cool word for, you know, how they make a food either taste good or have the right texture that you want. Um, and all of those things are important. You know, nutrition is super important, but it's not going to matter if the product doesn't taste good or, um, you know, emulate something that you love to eat. So we look to varietals to contribute all of those 
points of differentiation, which for us is the future of clean eating and a, a cleaner food system. Because if we can express all of those things through their unique crop varieties, we don't need all the additives that the food industry is using today. So I'll give you one example of something uh, that is in market today that, that sort of builds on what we're doing in high fiber wheat. This is actually a high protein oat and we call it so naked oats uh, because it's a naked oat. It doesn't have a hull when it grows. And that's partially the reason of why it has 40% more protein than a traditional oat. So it's a different macronutrient that serves a different purpose. And it's also in a gluten-free uh, supply chain. So our, our So Naked Oats are purity protocol gluten-free. So we're able to offer another nutrient-dense offering for a completely different consumer base, the gluten-free consumer. Interesting. Now, I noticed that in addition to your B2B business, that you are offering consumers samples of your new high fiber flour. Um, tell people how they can get a hold of one. We actually have a consumer product called Flourish Flour. It's Flourish Flour, fiber from the farm, and they can find that on Amazon. And so that's a product that they can use for home baking. Uh, we've got lots of recipes on the Flourish website. And uh, it really gives the consumer an opportunity to try this flour on their own, see how well it works in their recipes. And so after they've used that, because Flourish is a blended flour that's powered by HealthSense, which is our B2B brand, once they've used Flourish and they experience how well HealthSense high fiber flour powers a bakery item, they can then find products that our customers are manufacturing and actually are putting our logo on their product. So. Flourish is the flower that the consumer can work with, and then they can look for products that are powered by HealthSense on the grocery store shelves. That is a great idea and some very clever marketing. I'd like to thank our guest, Colleen Zammer, Vice President of Varietal Solutions Growth and Corporate Innovation at Bay State Milling. You must have a very large business card. Thanks so <laughs> much for joining us. We'll be back after these messages. From the vivid imagination of acclaimed author Alan Weiner comes a mystery series that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Meet Max Rosen, a spirited young newspaper reporter who finds himself entangled in a web of suspense, secrets, and danger. In What Goes Up, Rosen's instincts lead him to a mystery that soars beyond expectations. This journey continues in Tickle Takedown, where the stakes get higher, the mysteries deeper, and just when you think you have him figured out, Max evolves a nose job, taking us into the mature and thrilling world of investigative journalism. Alan Weiner crafts a world filled with adventure, where every clue counts, every lead matters, and every page turns faster than the last. Dive into the Max Rosen Mysteries series today. Available now on Amazon.com. Max Rosen Mysteries, where intrigue and adventure await at the turn of every page. Brought to you by Alan Weiner, writing stories that take you on a journey, one mystery at a time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Food Forward with Alan Weiner. 
Have a question for Alan or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Food Forward, Nourishing the World. I'm your host, Alan Weiner. So before we move on, I wanted to thank my guests, Colleen Zammer from Bay State Milling, and Kathy Weiner, who um, I've had on the show before, who is extremely knowledgeable in many, many food areas. So I want to kind of circle back to our opening segment where we talked about diabetes and uh, my personal reasons, my personal journey. So I have three points that I want to discuss. The first one is don't wait. Don't do what I did. I waited. Now, I'm hoping in the long run, because of the control that I've had, that it won't, you know, harm me in the long run. But I urge you, you have any of the signs or symptoms, thirst, hunger, and particularly an infection that doesn't heal, go to the doctor, have a blood test, and keep your weight down. And how do you do that? Well, we had an entire segment that dealt with diet. The other thing is exercise. So I don't expect people to follow what I do, but I exercise an hour a day, pretty much seven days a week. I do it 20 minutes at a time. And it's my assumption, my belief that 20 minutes of cardiovascular exercise is beneficial to your health and very beneficial to your diabetes. In fact, times when I get a higher blood sugar than I particularly like, I hop on my exercise bike and I'll go 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, um, you know, as an extra one to lower my blood sugar. And I'm going to say nine out of 10 times that actually works. That's pretty interesting. The third thing is have a reason. Now, certainly, you know, you, you want to do it for yourself. But I'm here to tell you that temptations are everywhere. You can't watch a television show without, you know, being bombarded with ads for new snacks. You can't go into a grocery store this time of year and see aisle after aisle of candy. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's your choice always. But I'm saying have a reason. And for me, the reason is my family, my wife, my daughter. I want to be here for them. So that's my motivation. And just to reiterate something that I I talked about before, and that's mental health. It is very depressing being a diabetic, particularly if you're somewhere and you see people eating, you know, pretty much anything that they want. It's it's tough. You know, You, you want to join in. So don't be afraid to get the mental health help that you need. In fact, I think it was either yesterday or the day before was National Mental Health Day. So, you know, talk to someone, you know, it could be a friend, somebody who you can confide in, or it could be a mental health professional. So circling back to the food topic, um, Kathy mentioned spiralizing. So real quickly, here's the spiralizing story. So after we moved to Austin, Texas, we would go to the original Whole Foods uh, pretty often. 
Um, this was pre-Amazon. And it was a center of innovation, mostly because the Whole Foods corporate headquarters is right above the shop at 6th and Lamar. And there were a number of restaurants in the, in the grocery store. And one of them had Asian food. And I noticed that they were having these spiralized noodles or noodles that were in a spiral. And it was like, that looks interesting. I wonder, you know, how they do that. So I finally um, asked someone and she showed me the machine. So for the life of me, I can't remember the exact name of the machine back then, but it was made in Japan and it's green and it has a handle that goes vertically. Um, you put your object in a holder with a little pin in it and you turn and crank and it spiralizes. Uh, kind of nasty to keep clean, but it works nonetheless. Today, not only are there um, a million different ways to spiralize yourself, I meant spiralize food yourself, not, well, I guess you could spiralize yourself. Um, there are, you know, pre-spiralized vegetables, zucchini, sweet potatoes, you name it, every grocery store has them, and, and it's great. Um, one of the things that we do is that we buy heart upon pasta uh, we traditionally buy it from Trader Joe's and the taste alone isn't that great. So we will mix some spiralized carrots and zucchini in it. And it really helps bump up the, the flavor. Uh, the other thing is beans. Now, you know, beans are a particular uh, choice. I have never made a bean I do not like. Beans are a great carbohydrate. Um, my my guess is the best thing to do is to buy fresh beans and you soak them overnight. You can put them in a, in a pressure cooker. Um, you can, you know, put them on the stovetop and then, you know, there's a million and one different recipes, everything from hummus to black beans and rice to chili and so on. So add beans to your diet. You know, you won't be sorry. And if you soak the beans, it helps take some of the starch out which is what gives you the, the unpleasant gas part of beans. So um, just kind of go back to the, the ad that precedes this segment, talking about my book. I do want to remind people, I have a new book out called Watchtower. It is available on every platform and in many bookstores. It is from Pegasus Publishing. Now, keep in mind, I want to hear from you. Um, whether it is a question about diabetes and a personal nature, or whether you have a suggestion or comment about our show, please, you know, don't forget to send me an email, alan, A-L-L-E-N, at foodforwardradio.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, um, YouTube, and TikTok. In the coming weeks, we are going to have some topics which include food waste and foraging, and some other goodies. So, you know, uh, make a note to join us either live or on demand. So until we meet again next week, this is Alan Weiner for Food Forward, Nourishing the World, Eat Hearty and Eat Healthy. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Food Forward. We hope we've given you some insights into the wide world of food. Until we talk again, have a wonderful week.